thank you so much. It's great being here. I, yes, I, I drug uh, Vicky around the world for uh, 35 years now, nearly 35 years, June 3rd, 1989. So that's, I, I, uh, I never forget that date. What, the, what, what, what every single person you've ever met, including yourself, needs to know is the same thing that every military member I ever met needs to know. That God loves you. He loves you. He's always loved you. He will never not love you. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've not done. It doesn't matter what you wish you had done. It doesn't matter what you hope to get to one day, but you've not yet gotten around to doing. He loves you. And he wants the best for you. And everybody in this room and everybody who might be listening online comes from all kinds of different backgrounds. And I've, I've spoken to enough people through the years to know that some people think that what I just said is false. Some people think that there's no way that God could love me. There's no way because if God knew who I was, if God knew my fears and anxieties, if, 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 if he knew all the things that I had done and the things that I would not done, and I would just say to you, he does know. And he loves you. And he wants the best for you. And what's best for you is what he wants for you. I'll say that again. What's best for you is what he wants for you. And whatever path that you are on today, if you will simply find yourself back on the path that he wants for you, that's where you're going to thrive. That's where you're going to flourish. That's where you're going to understand even more of the love God has for you. I'm, I'm, I come from a world, I was born into a world that did not have the internet. This is going to be shocking for many of you to understand, but I come from a world, I was born into a world that didn't have cell phones. There was a day when, uh, in order to make a phone call, you had to go to the wall where the phone hung up on the wall, and you had there was a long cord that uh, connected the, the 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 phone to the wall, and you had to push numbers. And oddly enough, this phone, which has always been called a phone, you couldn't Google anything on it. <laughs> you couldn't read anything on it. All you could do was punch numbers. And talk to people on the phone. And in this world that had no internet, if you needed to get from point A to point B in your vehicle, you had to use a map. Now, some of you will have to Google the word map. It's M-A-P. <laughs> but it's these pieces of paper um, that were often included in big books called atlases. And uh, if you were to travel around the country, and Vicky and I spent a lot of time traveling in England on the wrong side of the road, on the wrong side of the car, before there was an internet, before there was a GPS, before there was Waze, before there was Google Maps, before there was any of that, 
Um, and she was my Google Maps. She would sit there with this map on her, on her lap, um, and she would, she would tell me where to go. And as long as I did exactly what she said, and I took the right turn at the right time for the right reason, going the right direction, we had a great relationship. <laughs> but there were moments in that vehicle, in the heat of the moment, when I found myself on the wrong track. You know how it goes, right? Because she's sitting there and she has the open book. And she, 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 she understands the roads. She understands. And I have this feeling, but I don't think we should go that way. And she would say, but the map is telling us we have to go this way. But I have a feeling that we should go a little farther. And every single time I learned that I should have gone the way she told me to go. Because the map... These lines on these pieces of paper which told me the direction to go that would get us to the destination that we needed to go. Um, she needed to, if I simply did what she said, we, we never had trouble. Well, today, as you know, we live in a different world. And it's been a long time since I used the map. And today, I just, in fact, getting over here today, I put... Somehow this phone, which is not connected to a wall, and which I almost never talk on, somehow this phone I punched in West Lynchburg Baptist Church, and it told me exactly how to get here. Now the thing I have always loved about a GPS, always loved about um, Waze, is that Waze is very forgiving. Waze is very accommodating of my feelings. (laughs) Because if Waze tells me to turn right and I feel like, no, I think think I want to keep going straight. Um, Part of me says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. But I I want to go this way. And every time I do that, Waze says in so many words what the old GPS used to say, recalculating. It says to me, Gandhi, you and I both know you've missed the turn. You and I both know you went the wrong way. You and I both know that if you continue down this path, that you will end up in some destination that was not the plan for you. And Waze says... Recalculating. I'm going to help you get back on track. Because if you just go down this road a little bit farther, there's another road. It's going to seem weird to you, but we're going to turn left instead of right. And I have a way to get you from where you are. You've made the wrong turn. I have a way to get you from where you're going right back on track so that we can end in the destination that I want for you. And see, brothers and sisters, that's what God wants for us. And if you have found yourself going down the wrong track, even if you've been going down the wrong track for quite a while, God is saying to you in so many words and in the word, he's saying, it's fine. Recalculating. 
I'm going to get you back on track. You see, that's what I see in the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai, and I, I know they're on your outline, that the book of Haggai uh, is on page 743 of your pew Bible. And you're like, I've never even heard of the book of Haggai. Don't worry. Go to Matthew. You've probably heard of that one. That's in the New Testament. And just turn back two or three books, and there you're going to find this book of just two chapters. The sense of which is God knows that our natural tendencies are for us to go our own way, which are more often than not, not the way he would want us to go. And he is standing there calling us back for us to get back on track and to go the way so we can end at the destination that he wants us to have. Haggai chapter 1, I'm going to read these 15 verses and we're going to chit-chat along the way a little bit. Um, I'm going to look at the clock. And when I feel like you're probably hungry and ready to go to lunch. Um, which, by the way, you do this well here. Because you don't get that hungry by 11 o'clock. It's 1045. That's pretty wise, Pastor. You're No wonder you're the pastor here. That's good. That's just brilliance in action right there. Haggai. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, and so the first thing you should notice here is that uh, the people of God are being oriented, not by God himself in terms of time, but they're being oriented in their own life from the reign of a secular king. But here God, who is the king of all kings, God who is above all and beyond all and who orders all, um, has ordained this secular king to be responsible for their welfare. In the second year of King Darius, and when I look at this Bible, um, I, I am so encouraged because um, every word in this book is true. And I read this book in the second year of King Darius. I can go straight to Wikipedia probably. But I, but I, but I know for sure that the second year of King Darius is the, is the year 520 B.C. And you think, as you should think, you should think, wait a second here. Are you telling me, preacher, that, that we are here in 2024... And we've all gathered in our, in, our, in, our, in our Sunday clothes. We've just had great drumming, by the way. That was, that was incredible drumming. We've just had some great drumming uh, and phenomenal music. Uh, and and, and pre Preacher, are, are, are you telling me that uh, you're reading from a book and you're reading about a time uh, that was 2,500 plus years ago? And, and uh, would you have me to believe that the words that you're about to read here um, and say things about uh, that God is going to use in your... Are you, are you saying to me that the words from 2,500 years ago are just as relevant today as they were then? Absolutely. Every single word of this book... You can believe as if God said it. You know, you want to know why? Because God said it. In the second year of King Darius, 520 BC, on the first day of the sixth month, August 29th of 520 BC, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. To Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, 
governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now look up here just for a second, because what you'll see is that the word of God is coming through a man. Now God could have just said in a, his own booming voice, which I think people would have gone, whoa, what was that? But instead God does here what God most often does and what he has most often done. He chooses to speak through a prophet. And your prophet's name in this context is Chris. He speaks through a prophet, and it says here, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord, God has spoken through a prophet. I'm reminded of 2 Peter, verses, uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20. And the Bible says there that no prophecy was ever um, originated in, in man or his will, but was originated from the mind of God as God spoke through men as he moved them along. You see, in this context, coming into this problem that they're having uh, in the people of, with the people of God, what God is saying through a man is, I got a word for you, and I need you to listen. You'll, you'll notice also here that God first speaks to the leaders. The first word he says, this is not the last word he will say in these 15 verses, but the first word that he says here is to the prophet, through the prophet, and the priest, and the king, the governor. You have political leadership here, and God first comes to the political leadership in this, in this place and says, I got a word for you, and I'm kind of ticked off. God is about to say to them, you have not led your people in the way that I wanted you to lead them. And I need to call you back to be back on track. Now, I don't know what your life is like today. I don't know um, if you're walking with the Lord in the way that you know you need to walk with the Lord. I don't know if you're in a place today where you are faking people out. They think you're walking with the Lord because you do the pretty face thing and you say the right words. But you know deep down here that you're not living in the way that God would have you to live and you're not flourishing as a result. Or maybe you're just in open rebellion right now and God says to you, it's fine, recalculating, I can bring you back on track if you will allow me to do so. And so he first speaks prophet priest and governor verse 2 this is what the Lord Almighty says these people now in my Bible I I underline the word these people have you have you ever had uh, have you ever had a son or a daughter that was that you thought was beginning to act more like your spouse than yourself. Um, and, 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 you, and you say to them, you know, this daughter of yours. No longer is it my daughter. It's, it's, it's This daughter of yours is acting in ways that are contrary to the way that we know she should be acting. And you need to do something about it. Well, that's sort of what God says here. God says to these leaders, these people. Not my people whom I love dearly. Now, he does love them dearly. But he says, these people are, as my dad would have said, these people are acting contrary. These people say, 
quote, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built, unquote. Now, why would he say that? Because you remember this is 520 B.C. Because 18 years ago, 18 years ago when they were in exile in Babylon, God used a secular king named Cyrus to say, hey, listen, I'm going to help you go back all the way to Jerusalem. And when you go back to Jerusalem, you have one job. It's like a field goal kicker. You have one job. And your job, he's, we find out in the book of Ezra, your job is to go back with all these resources I'm giving you. Go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of God. Why? So that the people in Jerusalem will know that God is God. And God is sovereign, and God is majestic, and God has a plan for not just the people of God, but for all those who are not yet the people of God. They had one job, and in 538 B.C., they went back and did nothing. They went back with all these resources and, 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 and they got to Jerusalem and what they saw was, yeah, this temple is sort of in shambles. And when they got there and saw that the temple was in shambles um, and they started a little bit of trying to, they said, we should probably make a trip to Home Depot. Um, and so they take some of this money and they go to Home Depot and they, and they, they, they get all these um, materials and they put it in a big pile. And then they begin to be opposed. They begin to have opposition from, from those who don't want the people of God to be the people of God. In a place where God has told them that they have to be the people of God. And they begin to get some opposition. You see this in Ezra and Nehemiah in those books. And so they just sort of give up and they start sucking their thumb. And after a while they say to themselves, this being the church of God thing um, in, in a community that doesn't really seem all that interested in God yet. Um, this seems kind of hard. Um, and I think rather than us wasting all of our time and all these resources on, on building the temple, we should just use these resources which are not being used for any other purpose. We should just use them to build our own houses. And that's what they did. They took the resources and the energy and the enthusiasm and the mission uh, that were, were intended for the purposes of God and the good of those around them. They took those resources and such and spent them on themselves. To which each of us should ask, to what extent am I doing that? To what extent am I using things that I know God has given me, time, talent, treasure, and everything, anything else you can think of? To what extent am I using these resources God has given for His glory and others' good, and am I using them on myself and for myself? This is what, verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says, These people say, the time has not come for the Lord's house to be built. Well, it's been 18 years, hello? Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. This is the second time he said that. Is it a time for you yourselves 
to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin. You see, he first spoke to the leaders. He wasn't happy with the way things were going with them. But now he speaks to the people. And notice that he says here in verse 3 that they are living in paneled houses. Now, a paneled house uh, tells us that they were using things that were intended for the temple. And they had decided, because it's not being used for that, hate hate for it to go to waste. We should use all the stuff that was meant to be Paneled houses indicates royalty. We should use all of that and just put it up in my own living room. I think I think it'll look good in my own living room. I hate for it just to be there in the weather and go to waste. I'll just use it on myself. See, God wasn't happy about that at all. Verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. I underline these words too in my Bible. Give careful thought to your ways. Man, is, if there is a theme of this passage, if there is a theme in this book, it is that. Give careful thought to your ways. You think about who God is. You think about who you are. You think about the fact that you were made in the image of God to serve him and to love him and to so that God can love others through you. Give careful thought to your ways and you compare the ways that you are now living with the way God would want you to live. And you ask yourself, is this a time for recalculating? Because God says to you, at least at first, You're going down the wrong path. Pretty sure you know this. Um, I'm pretty sure that you know and I know and let's face it, all of us know that if you keep going down this path, things for you are going to get worse. For a while they might seem like they're going to be better and for a while it might seem like, well, I fooled the pastor yet again. He thinks I'm walking with the Lord because I know the right words to say, but God and I know that I am in great rebellion against him. And see what God says to these people 2,500 years ago. He says to you and he says to me, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to the ways that you're loving God or not. Give careful thought to the ways that you're loving others or not. Give careful thought to the ways that you are operating in your business. Is there a difference in the way you operate in your workplace and, 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 and the way you operate at church? Because there shouldn't be, see. Those things should be the same because you've been called to be a child of God regardless of your title. You're a retired person. You might say to yourself, I did my part. I'm done. I, I'm, I made it to Social Security age. I'm taking that money before it's all, it all runs out. And I'm using the next 30 years of my life. I'm going to go on some great vacations. Because I earned it. I deserve it. All I'm saying is give careful thought to your ways. That's all I'm saying, because that's what the word of the Lord said here. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, did I just tell you not to go on a vacation? No. 
I just said, because I read it in the book, to give careful thought to your ways. Um, and if your ways have led you to believe that you've done your part and you got to the ripe old age of whatever you defined it to be and that you intend to spend the next 30 years of your life pretty much chilling, then that probably is a bad idea. That's all I'm saying. Give careful thought to your ways. Verse 6. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You see, here's what God does often. We go about living our lives, um, and, and what we discover is that although we are living our lives, what we discover is, often, we're not satisfied. Why are we not satisfied? Because God will not allow you to be satisfied in a life or a lifestyle that is contrary to the path and the destination that He wants you to go. I love the fact here that he says you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. What does that mean? That's inflation. <laughs> that, 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 that's all that is. I mean, I, it seems to me I'm, I'm running harder and harder. And I, I mean, I got a little bit of, I got a little raise or whatever. And I'm going hard and I'm going hard and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But, but it seems to me that although I have more, I spend more. And at the end of the month, I actually have less. That's inflation. You might say that, uh, are you saying, are you, are you at least implying that inflation could be evidence of the judgment of God? Are you saying that? I'm just reading what it says. I mean, I, I, you know, don't, 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 you know don't, don't, get, don't blame me for stuff. But I do know that all through the Bible, God sometimes removes his hand of blessing, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. He sometimes removes his hand of blessing because he sees that we are not following the principles that he would have us to follow and that, and he knows that the way we're going is not best for us and he uses that in hopes that we would come back. The book of Judges is all about this. Every man did what was right in his own eyes and we see God saying, okay, you want to live like that? I'll let you. But I promise you, it is not going to go the way that you think it's going to go. It never does. It never does. I've been a cha- I was a chaplain for a long time. I bet you your pastor can tell you story after story after story of people who, who said they believed the word of God, but lived contrary to it and discovered that uh, because their life fell apart, that living consistent with the word of God is actually best. And you either believe the word of God or you do not. There there really is no middle ground. If you believe it, trust me when I tell you, you should live in this way and your life will be much better. The, 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 The old saying goes, 
Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's true. If you ever find yourself in a place where you think, oh, that Word of God stuff, I'm just going to I'm just going to abandon it just for a little while. Just for a little while. God bless you. Just for a little while. In that moment, what you've said to yourself is, I don't really believe it. I don't really believe that my life on earth is a, is a finite number of years, the number of which you do not know yet. I do not believe that, and I certainly don't believe that my life after that is infinite and eternal. Because if you did, you would live differently. See, give careful thought to your ways. Am I saying that if a nation that has a $33 trillion deficit is possibly evidence of the judgment of God on a materialistic people who have thumbed their noses at God and that God is just letting us go our own way? Am I saying that is evidence of the judgment of God? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's possible. Give careful thought to your ways. Verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He says it again. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber. And build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Now don't miss this verse. See, a few verses before, we saw that uh, people a lot like us just way back in the day... People a lot like us were living in paneled houses because they had used all the Home Depot materials that were intended to to build the temple of God. They'd use it on their own houses. And so there, 18 years later, God has to say to them, now you're going to have to go up in the mountains again and get this timber and bring it back. Why? Because you spent all you had before on yourself. But now it's time to get real. Now it's time to get right. Now it's time to get back on track. Come and build my house. And notice what he says. So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Now the, the, you know, the, the, the analogy here is, could, could not be any better. West Lynchburg Baptist Church has been at this address for a long time. And there are people all around in this neighborhood who are being reminded once again that West Lynchburg Baptist Church is itself relevant because it's a reminder that the God they love and serve is relevant. And the people out there are wondering, well, uh, you know, if, if, if nothing ever happens outside the walls of this church, the people outside the walls of this church would have every reason to wonder, well, I wonder if the God they serve inside the church makes any difference in their lives outside the church because those who are watching you um, are just asking the question is all. That's all. And the same thing that happened 2,500 years ago, it's happening at this address in 2024. 
Verse 9, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. Meaning you thought your own way was going to lead you to give you more happiness and fulfillment and meaning and purpose, but it never does. So come back. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. I don't know where you live. I don't know how many of you live in this neighborhood. How many of you drive into this neighborhood? All I know is that the people around here are wondering, well, what's happening in this house? I guess next Saturday, some people are going to find out about an Easter egg hunt. Right? And that Easter egg hunt is going to draw some people in. And they're going to understand that what happens in this house can affect every other house in this neighborhood if they take what happens in this house, the glory of God, back to their house. But what God says here, because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Hmm. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. Hmm. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. You notice how sovereign God is. You notice how in every book of the Bible, every time that something goes wrong, Something goes the wrong way. Something goes in a way that you don't want it to go. God owns it. God says, I'm sovereign. And what God says to us in multiple places, he said it in my life and he said it in yours. And he might be saying it in yours right now. Um, I, I am withholding my blessing from you so that you will come back to me. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord, their God, had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. It's always the answer. It's always the answer. Your life is an open book test. And here's the book. And all you have to do is exactly what God says. The Bible here says that they obeyed the Lord and they feared the Lord. And they obeyed the Lord because they feared the Lord and they feared the Lord because they obeyed the Lord and that's how it works. Verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Notice, he first spoke 
to the leaders first. And now he stirs the spirit of the leaders. And then he spoke next to the people. And look what he's about to do. And the spirit of the whole remnant of the people were stirred. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God. On the 24th day of the seventh month in the second year of King Darius. You remember that this began in the second year on the first day of the sixth month. And now it's been 23 days. The 24th day of the sixth month in the second year is when they realize what God had told them all along, been telling them for 18 years, was still true. Consider your ways. Fear the Lord. Obey the Lord. And I underlined in my Bible an extra, extra thick line when God says there, in verse 13, I am with you. Four statements. And we're finished. From this passage. Number one. Here's the question. What are you waiting for? Verses one and two. What are you waiting for? God says to us. And the statement that goes with it is this. Stop procrastinating. And start progressing for the good of others and the glory of God. Now, if you look at me, what you will see is a firstborn kid who has just about every trait that you would think a firstborn kid would have. I am a perfectionistic procrastinator. My statement my entire life, which has driven first my mother crazy until the day that she died... And my wife, every day since. If you wait until the last minute, it only takes a minute. It's not a good way to live, but it's the way I've lived. But it's certainly not the way to live the Christian life. If you know it's true, and it is, you have a choice to make. You're either going to live that way consistent with God's plan for your life now, or you're going to wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Number two. Who are you living for? See that in verses 3 to 6 and 9 through 11. Who are you living for? Here's a statement that goes with it. Let God's purposes determine your priorities. You see, our life is always this constant battle between the immediate and the ultimate. Are you going to live for the immediate? Or are you going to live for the ultimate? You know, it's the old tyranny of the urgent. Do the important things first and most and best and all that other stuff will take care of itself. Which reminds me of Matthew 6.33. Who are you living for? 
Let God's purposes determine your priorities. Number three. What are you playing for? Here's the statement. Run up the score in maximizing God's pleasure. This is why you were placed upon the earth. You were made in the image of God to give Him worship and to serve Him and to obey Him and to fear Him and to live your life in such a way that every household around this church will say, something about those people are different. I should find out what that something is. And you will say, well, it's not a something, it's a someone. And God has made you in His image and He loves you. Let me tell you all about Him. And they will tell you about family challenges and financial challenges and all of that. And you will say, listen, we can work through all that together. But don't miss the fact that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and wants you to flourish and has given you the way to do that. Let me help you understand that. Maximize God's pleasure. I'll just take us back to verse 8. He says to them, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house, comma, this is God speaking, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You want want me to tell you what will give God great pleasure in this place? If you do the same kind of serving of your neighborhood that you have done by serving on this platform and serving in this church and you go out, that will give God pleasure. Because what gives him pleasure is when people come to him uh, and acknowledge him for the God and master of the universe that he is. Number four. Who are you counting on? Crave God's presence as the source of your passion and power. Who are you counting on? Because you have two choices. You're either counting on yourself or your friends. Or you're counting on the God who made you and loves you with an everlasting love. You have two choices. Which one are you craving? And see, what he says here is, if you fear him and obey him, he promises that he'd be with you. That's what Jesus said as he left. Go therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, beginning right here in the zip code. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you until the end of the age. See, at the end of the day, what we want to make sure happens is that Matthew 25 comes to light for us. The parable of the talents. He gives you time, talent, treasures, resources. And he says you can... In the course of your life, you either use this for His glory and others' good, or you use it on yourself, and He comes back, because He is coming back, and He will say, either say, well done, good and faithful servant, or He will say, "Mm mm-mm. See, you want to hear the well done. What do you hope the Lord would say about How you stewarded your time, talent, and treasure when that day comes. What do you hope he says? Because you can have an impact on what he says if you consider your ways and do what he says. 
you know, to get back on track, which is what God wants. God uses this soothing voice that sometimes I hear on this thing. And when your name is Dandi, you have a special affinity for people whose name is Haggai. And what God has said to me over and over and over again, Dandi, come on. You and I both know what you need to do. So, just do it. Amen.